The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today I plan to read two accounts of NDEs from the files of IANS. But before I get to it, I'd like to mention an interesting article by Joshua Rothman that appeared in the April 2nd, 2018 issue of the New Yorker magazine. It's titled, As Real As It Gets and begins with an account of an out-of-body experience experienced in the 1980s by then-philosophy student Thomas Metzinger. The author says Metzinger was both, quote, amazed and afraid. Interestingly, Metzinger was studying at Johann Wolfgang Goethe's Universität in Frankfurt and believed that his soul was made by his brain. That was the common thinking of the teachers of that day. The article describes how Metzinger had a series of OBEs over time, uh, which he knew were real at the time, but then then he became convinced intellectually that his experiences were happening within his brain, what they called his mental model of reality. And so his OBE experiences began to fade. In other words, he had fewer and fewer of them. Long story short, he became involved in virtual reality research and the replication of OBEs with electric shocks to the brain and virtual reality glasses and the like. From 2010 to 2015, Metzinger worked with researchers in Barcelona on embodied virtual experience. And embodied virtual experience's goal is to convince you you are someone else by uh, simulating out-of-body experiences. In other words, you're looking at yourself from a distance. Uh, it provides a framework for psychological insights and uh, also stirs uh, ancient questions about the nature of reality that go back, Lord, as far as Plato or at least as far as the Matrix movies. The problem, as I see it, lies in the notion that we are living in a brain-generated reality of our own making rather than a spiritually-based reality. To my way of thinking, our brains are more an obstacle to the truth than a path to it. It's only when our brain's normal activity gets disturbed that we gain a glimpse of the outlying reality the NDEs and OBEs are windows to. Well, one reason spirit and science can't get it together is the scientific notion that if an experience can't be replicated when you set up the same parameters, then it just can't be verified and therefore it can't be true. And that leads to speculation that nothing is true or rather that everything may be a virtual reality. Thus, movies like uh, The 13th Floor or The Matrix indicate we are living in a world of shadow images, as Plato described it. Of course, Plato also gave us a detailed vision of what happens when we die, as reported by the soldier Ur in Plato's Republic. And that leaves little room for what religion calls the supernatural uh, or what NDEers call the real reality. And yet there are apparent parallels in Metzinger's understanding. Uh, Rothman writes, and I quote, It turns out that we do in this sense possess subtle bodies. We also inhabit subtle selves. 
while a person exists, he feels that he knows the world and himself directly. In fact, he experiences a model of the world and inhabits a model of himself. These models are maintained by the mind in such a way that their constructed nature is invisible, but it can sometimes be made visible, and then, to a degree, the models can be changed. Something about this discovery is deflating. Rothman's writing this, of course. It turns out that we are less subtle a substantial than we thought, yet it can also be invigorating to understand the constructed, provisional nature of experience. Our perceptions of the world and the self feel real. How could they feel otherwise? But we can come to understand our own role in the creation of their apparent realness. And then he quotes Virginia Woolf, the com- compensation of growing old, um, Virginia Woolf writes in Mrs. Dalloway, is that while the passions remain as strong as ever, we gain, quote, the power which adds the supreme flavor to existence, the power of taking hold of experience, of turning it around slowly in the light, end quote. Um, there's a wonderful anecdote in Rothman's article that I have to report to you as well. It goes, in the 18th century, the philosopher George Berkeley argued that reality was all in our minds. And Samuel Johnson, famous Samuel Johnson, who uh, was uh, the writer of the first dictionary, English dictionary, Samuel Johnson had no patience for this idea. He declared, I refute it thus and kicked a stone. Well, the story survived, and two centuries later, the poet Richard uh, Wilbur wrote a rejoinder. Kick at the rock, Sam Johnson, break your bones, but cloudy, cloudy is the stuff of stones. I love that. We'll pick up a copy of Rothman's article in the New Yorker if you can. It's the April 2nd issue of this year. It's an unusual take on really what's a fascinating subject, um, close to what we talk about here every week. And now for two reports on NDEs from the files of IONS. This is a one just, just came out as a, this, one of the services of IONS, as I've told you before, is, um, the uh, monthly uh, story about an NDE or an OBE or some um, mystical experience that um, is worthy of uh, reading. And this one is from this month's issue uh, online. In this account, a man in his uh, late 40s senses he is about to die from a heart attack. He begins to notice things that are inconsistent with his understanding of reality here on Earth. And after having sensations of falling, traveling through doorways, encountering an essence of compassion, and then a barrier, he finds himself in the same chair in the same position he had been. Although initially he recalls seeing nothing, he returns with a strong conviction of certain truths that apply to all humanity, and he concludes with his subsequent success at partially regaining the peaceful happiness of his experience, and with his conjectures on a wave particle theory of the essence of compassion. And this is, uh, the story is written by the experiencer. Last year in October, I was sitting in the kitchen on a chair looking at the garden. At the other side of the kitchen table is a window. Suddenly, I had a pain in my chest and the strong conviction I was about to die. 
The next thing I remember, I'm falling and I have a warm sensation. I think that I'm falling towards the radiator below the window at the other side of the table and, and that I am dying and at the same time, I am surprised that I, I feel no hate, no, no anger toward my parents. I can accept that this is the end of my life. Next, I pass through two doorways and know instinctively, instinctively that they are the doorway of justice and the doorway of love. I am in an empty space, no senses apply, no hearing, no vision, etc. I have no sense of time and space and feel that these categories do not apply here. I encounter an essence of compassion that is ultimate. Even a mass murderer will be accepted. I feel drawn to this essence of compassion, but since there, there is a barrier, I understand that there's nothing to be gained, nothing can be achieved. Everything is perfect as it is. I see the garden and the lawn as if the room would have no walls and, and understand that both the point of this world and the other reality overlap. At this point, I realize that I'm still sitting on the chair at the table. Actually, it's impossible, even standing, to see the lawn from this position. I, I checked this afterwards several times. It's unlikely that I walked around the table to look to the window, uh, to look out of the window and forgot about it because I reemerged from the experience in the same spot and position, sitting on the chair just as I started. Later, only days or weeks later, the essence of compassion became associated with a sphere of silvery light in my mind, something like a bright light in a void, but at the beginning I would not have been able to describe it. I had a feeling of absolute joy, transcending happiness and conviction that A, fear of death is an error, B, that there is an essence of compassion. Some people may call it God. <clears throat> See that all I was taught as a Buddhist was true, but that at the same time also other religions that, for example, Islam, contain truth as well. Actually, I've started visiting a Muslim center in our neighborhood and realized that some of their members, as, as well as people from my own Buddhist congregation, which is a Korean Zen Buddhist congreg congregation, encounter similar NDE experiences. Both meditation and Sufi Muslim meditative prayer bring, at least partially, bring back the peaceful happiness I encountered, possibly similar to the theory that light is both particle and wave. Uh, our Buddhist way and the way Muslims, Christians, and Jewish people view the essence either as a wave, and then in parentheses, beyond form and pantheistic, close paren, or as a personalized God, and in parentheses, particle, are mutually compatible and describe the same phenomenon. And there his account ends. I like that, com that the way of um, comparing the two to the particle uh, wave theory of light. So that's the, that's the first report, um, that I was going to read and, and here's the second. And this, um, this comes from the March 2018, um, monthly report from IONS to the membership. 
In this account of a near-death-like experience, a young woman describes what happened to her one night when she was deeply mourning a lost love. For about 15 minutes of heightened awareness, she found herself in a bright light surrounded by millions of souls who were holding her. She was shown who she truly is and that she is greatly loved. The souls answered her questions and predicted the future correctly. She was shown her life and told she must forgive herself. She feels she has changed and recounts several amazing things that happened shortly after this experience. She titled this, Millions of Souls Were Holding Me. It was around 10.30 at night. I let my dogs out to go potty, and I was out in the backyard with a flashlight. They started barking at a raccoon, so I made them go back inside. I went back out to pick up their mess, and I, I was crying. I had a severely broken heart. My mother was kind of mean my whole life, and the husband that I was so in love with had left me. I thought he was the only one that had ever loved me. I was trying to cry quietly, and I had been somewhat an atheist for the past 25 years, but I was reaching out to God, asking him why, and saying, I forgive Jay, so why do I hurt so badly? And I said, no one is ever going to love me again. And I was crying so hard, I felt this horrible pain in my chest, and I was having a hard time breathing. I asked God if this was how the phrase broken heart came to be. I wanted to die. I I was torn because my two dogs would would be uh, left without someone to love them. I dropped to my knees from the pain. Then all of a sudden, this remarkable bright light surrounded me. It didn't hurt my eyes. Millions of souls were holding me, and I recognized them all, and, and I felt so loved. They told me I would see Jay again someday. I stood up at some point. I was looking straight ahead, and my entire life and experiences were all there in a still picture, uh, no such thing as time, but I could see it all. I could see when I made someone feel good, and I could feel the love and joy they felt. And when I was mean, I could see and feel their pain. And I said to them, and this is telepathically, so there is judgment, but we judge ourselves. And they all said yes, not in English, but in my head, all at once. I felt proud of when I was good and very ashamed of when I wasn't. They said I needed to forgive myself. They and she says in parentheses, I got the impression they were God, had forgiven me immediately. And I, I said I I couldn't, that I needed to go back and fix things and, and be nice. Uh, I couldn't believe some of my pettiness. I understood that I was one of them, that I was part of them, and also I was an individual. Uh so I was both join, joined and individual at the same time. I also knew that we are all connected. I would ask a question, and they answered it faster than I, I could think of it. When I was reviewing my life, I cried when I hurt someone or something. Then I actually turned away from my life picture, and I realized that Jay was going to hurt when he died because of how badly he had hurt me. 
so I begged them not to let him hurt. I told them I wasn't hurt anymore, and I forgave him, and please don't let him hurt. They told me that they loved him too, and that they would be holding him like they were holding me. That I would, that he would feel the unconditional love, the unconditional complete love, just as I did, and that he would have to go through it, but they would be with him and he would be okay. I pleaded with them, and they said he must see his life so that he, he can grow. I remember saying to them when they first told me, oh, this is what I am. I am one of you. I am pure. I am light. I am 100% love. And they answered, yes. I knew I was one. I felt home. It was bliss. I understood every religion all at once. I felt my dead dog's individual presence behind me. He had passed about five months prior. I was so torn all those months, they said, you can turn around and see him. And I said, no, I can't. I'm not worthy of looking into the light. I have to go back and be better. And they said, yes, you may. You, You must forgive yourself. You must, and you will. And I said, I can't. They said, you will. I could think of any question, and I knew the answer. Immediately, I asked if suicide didn't send you to hell. And I instantly knew that you ended up with them the same way. The difference is the pain you feel when reviewing your life. If your loved ones suffered for the remainder of their life on earth, you would have a harder time forgiving yourself. I felt bad for not being super sweet to a dog we had, and I was never really mean to him. I just wasn't loving to him. We had given him away. I finally felt okay about every animal that had ever died now because I knew they were all fine. I also knew we are all connected, including animals, plants, the universe. They forgive everyone immediately. We are the ones that punish ourselves. They hurt for us. I asked about murderers and knew they were also made out of uh, uh, love and had a horrible time forgiving themselves. I felt so sorry for them. They felt so much emotional pain. The light people, they were millions of these souls, or light people. Millions, uh, like enough to fill the universe. Everything alive has a soul. I knew I'd just borrow my body. I, I, I know this life is a gift for me to experience things. I know now that my job is to be kind and to lead by example, not to ever judge, never judge. But I still do. So much happened in about 15 minutes. There was a lot more. Maybe I can fill it in as I recall more things. Anyhow, all of a sudden, I was standing on my lawn in the back of this three-dimensional world, and I was laughing. This place looks so fake now. I know I am trapped in this gift of a body. I am homesick, and I talk to them. They have answered me once in my head. Mostly they just make sure I'm okay. I immediately started looking this up in my computer, and I knew I was blessed. The rest of the week was crazy. I could hear birds doing the weirdest sounds. I heard a banana make a sound of escaping gas when I opened it. I got a check in the mail for $289 from the gas and electric company. 
I went to Smart and Final for this roasted chicken, and I was prepared to be disappointed because they were usually sold out at that time. And This man across the store held up a chicken at me, and I shook my head. He yelled, Lady, stay there, and he brought it. Then he said, Lady, I don't know you, and I am not religious, but God told me to bring you this chicken. And he left. And I hate casinos, but I went with my boss later that week, and she was playing slots, and I was bored. I would look at the machines, and one winked at me. I told her to play it because it winked, and she said no. Then she lost a lot of money, so we went to a different area. Again, I was bored, and a machine winked at me. I told her to play it, and she said no, machines don't wink. She lost more money, and we left. The next day, she wanted to go back, and I said no. I said I would watch the store. She owned a dealership. She usually takes about five hours, but this time she was back in about 90 minutes. She she came to the door and said, you won't believe it. A machine winked at me, and I played it, and I won $21,000, and I cashed out and left. I smiled and said, that's the only time it will ever wink. I knew God gave her back her money. Then Jay called me. I was shocked because he was never going to speak to me. He said he had a heart attack, and it was around 10.30 that night on that same Sunday night that I had my NDE. He had been in the hospital all week. My life, well, actually, I've been different ever since. I'm weird now. I read all the time. Science, history, nature, anything. As long as it's factual, everything is completely different now which is how many of us feel having gone through a near-death experience. Well, that's the uh, end of that account. And I want to take a little time and tell you uh, about what's coming up in um, the IONS uh, conference for this year. It's uh, titled uh, The After Effects of Near-Death Experience, A Deeper Understanding and Sharing of Gifts. It's running from August 30th through September 2nd, which is Labor Day weekend, in Bellevue, Washington, at the Bellevue Hilton. And we have an amazing lineup of keynote speakers, including Eben Alexander, Bruce Grayson, Mary Neal, Pim Van Lummel, Jeff Olson, Jeff O'Driscoll, others, uh, including myself. I'm doing a workshop on chaplains with chaplains. And so it should be a really good time, really interesting time. Many workshops, uh, healing sessions, um, all the things that these conferences always include. But, um, but every, every experience is unique. If you've had a near death experience or, um, or a, an OBE or any form of a personal mystical experience, you'll find the energy in the place, um, is quite incredible. You get into a conference room with, a couple hundred people who've had NDEs, and it's uh, quite electric. Uh, occasionally, we've had a, the experience of saying prayer and joining hands together, and uh, it's a very positive feeling. It's very much like the millions of souls that she described in this um, NDE experience I just read to you. There is a, uh, a community that you understand goes beyond being uh, a human community. It's a spiritual community. And the sharing that goes on, the, um, the talking about these experiences, you know, 
for people who have felt awkward or embarrassed about talking about their NDE, a place like this is so healing because you can talk to anyone about anything and, uh, and you, it, it's perfect acceptance. It really is. Even when you come at it from your own religion's point of view. That was one of the things I, I liked about this last, uh, the, these last two readings. Um, the one fellow who had been raised Buddhist but recognized the truth of other religions. You know, we uh, had a, a conversation with uh, Howard Storm uh, last week about um, religion and the um, community of religion uh, that is such a, a, a good place to be if you've had an NDE and if your community is accepting of your NDE, how it's a difficult place to be when they don't accept your NDE. But the sharing of uh, near-death experience um, to a church community or synagogue or uh, uh, you know any any religious worship at all is um, is powerful for the uh, hearer as well as for the speaker and um, I endorsed Howard's notion that uh, we really should not forsake um, religious communities simply because we feel like we've had a personal mystical experience because the whole point of our being here, and this is, comes right out of Jesus, is to love one another and to give to one another and to share with one another according to their need and according to uh, uh, our ability. And when you're given uh, a near-death experience or similar mystical experience, that ability has been enhanced uh, multiple times over. So uh, I would en- encourage you as a footnote to... Uh, the Howard Storm interview in last week's show that um, that if you've had a near-death experience and you felt alienated by your church community or your pastor or your rabbi or your imam on that account, don't give up on uh, organized religion altogether because there's some community out there where you can uh, feel welcome and where you were, your information, the information you gained from your experience will be incredibly valuable to the, to those people who have um, uh, not had one. I found as a chaplain, a hospital chaplain, that when I took a near-death experience story from someone who had just coded and seen the other side to other patients in the hospital who were perhaps afraid of death, who had no religious background to speak of, who... Uh, didn't know what happened, um, who were um, terribly depressed because of the way their medical care was going, that these near-death and um, similar experiences, these stories are just as powerful and rewarding uh, for hospital patients. In fact, I would encourage um, people who've had near-death experience out there, go and volunteer at your local hospital Um They'll probably give you some training to be a, a visitor, and um, you can you can be so important in someone's life, especially if they're in palliative care or have survived a heart attack. Um, so if you feel like you have a gift that you need to share and you want to share, and you're not up to writing a book right now, start telling people about this. Um, people who are in in um, crisis situations or especially. Uh, receptive to uh, to something like that, and if you can 
get over to the to Bellevue, Washington in the fall in the around over Labor Day weekend. It starts, I think, on a Wednesday, goes runs through Sunday, and uh, you'll get to uh, meet lots of fascinating people, people whose books you probably have read, uh, and um, you probably even run into me over there. I'll be trying to uh, recruit people to be on this show. So uh, keep it in mind. Just go to the IANDS website, IANDS.org, and you'll find all of this information on the conference coming up. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Um, thank you for listening. I, I always want to thank you for listening, and and uh, sometimes I get caught up in the in the thanking of the of the guest I've had on the air. I'm of course grateful to them too. But you know, if you have uh, something you would like to share on this show, get in touch with me. Uh, send me an email, Lee Whitting. Um, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear this program again or any of our more than 230 programs to date, uh, just go to our website at nderadio.org and click on the Past Shows button. And for more information about IANS, please go to their website at iands.org. Be with us again next week, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.